Welcome to Trawler Talk, the podcast for trawler nuts and long-range cruising enthusiasts. As the signature podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, Trawler Talk aims to engage, educate, and inspire as we dive into the very best of the long-range cruising lifestyle. I'm your host, Andrew Parkinson. It's been said that competition drives innovation especially in the world of marine electronics, a corner of the boating industry that has taken substantial leaps forward of late. Keeping up with it all can be a full-time job. That's why we love Ben Stein. He's the editor and publisher of marine electronics hub, panbow.com, and he also happens to be our guest today on Trawler Talk. In this episode, we're gonna talk about some of the cool new gadgets hitting the trawler market this year, and Ben's gonna help you outfit your boat with the perfect electronic setup for long-range cruising. But first, Today's episode is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts. As a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts, Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue water yachts offering luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With boats ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef has the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. To learn more, visit OuterReefYachts.com. And now, without further ado, let's bring in our favorite technological wizard, Ben Stein. Ben, welcome to Trawler Talk. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Ben, how did you end up in the yachting industry? Great question. So I started out actually in uh, financial services technology and spent 18 years running critical infrastructure for large brokerages. That's not quite as much fun as playing with boating electronics. And at some point, I kind of burned out on that. And my family and I kind of took a year off from life and decided to do a trip called the Great Loop. Many of our listeners are familiar with it. For those that aren't, it's a uh, trip around the eastern third of the United States, down the western rivers, out to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, down and around Florida, up the east coast, up the Hudson to the Erie Canal, and uh, back to the Great Lakes through one of a couple of routes. Spent about a year doing that, planning for that to be uh, some time away, and then figure out what I was going to do next in my career. Well, all of us enjoyed living on the boat so much that I realized that I needed to find a way to make this a, a more permanent thing. And what better than my technology background in general, my love for boating, to combine them and uh, work in the marine electronics field. I ended up hooking up with Ben Ellison, who had been the uh, publisher of Pambo for many years. And he and I struck up a relationship and eventually, after a couple of years, took over the reins as publisher and and now have the privilege of living and breathing electronics. So we still live aboard our boat. Our boat has turned into something of a floating laboratory with all sorts of half-installed and uh, under-evaluation sorts of products. It's probably one of the most confusing places for, for many people who are not super technologically savvy. But uh, for me, it's, it's my playground. It's where I get to come and uh, play with the latest and greatest and see how it all works. It sounds like you get a lot of time to just play with new electronics, case studies on your own boat. That's cool. What's exciting you right now about what's coming on the market? You know, what are some of the tech trends we're seeing? So I think there's probably two major things that I'm, I'm really watching carefully right now. One of which is a new product from a company that probably, again, many of our listeners are familiar with, Vesper, who has made their name as a, an AIS manufacturer and designer. They uh, really distinguish themselves from a lot of the other AIS products by really understanding how boaters use their product and making sure that it has features that reward the, the selection of their product and that differentiate 
their AIS receiver and transceiver from just another AIS product. So, for example, Vesper added an anchor alarm to their product because they realized that here they are with all sorts of location information and an app that you can use to to see AIS targets and other information. And what better use than to also add anchor alarming? Well, Vesper has now come out with a product called Cortex. And Cortex is a combination Class B SO, so the newer Class B AIS transceiver, as well as VHF radio and boat monitoring system. And let me, let me stop and you there. What is Class B for, for some people that may not understand that? Yep. So AIS is basically divided into two classes. Class A is the uh, primarily commercially focused system for of AIS, and Class B was designed as the standard for recreational boating. About two years ago, Class B SO, or sometimes called B plus, came out. It's an updated version of the Class B standard. Allows for higher transmit power and more frequent updates. So. Uh, most AIS manufacturers are coming out with BSO or B plus AIS transceivers. Cortex is Vesper's first BSO transceiver, but as I mentioned, it also picks up VHF voice communication capabilities and boat monitoring capabilities. I think part of the reason that I'm really excited about Cortex is they took something that hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention, the the VHF radio that you know sort of sits silently and just does its thing and really looked at how it's used and what could be done to make it better. And so most v VHF radios, really every other VHF radio I've ever used, has a pretty clunky interface, usually an up or a down button to change channels. But if you want to do something like call another boat by um, MMSI or something of that nature, it's really clunky. You're, you know, hunt tons and tons of button presses in order to make your way through the user interface and make that happen. Well, Vesper has a color touchscreen display in a handheld unit that you hold in your hand and you can, for instance, see the AIS targets, press on one of those AIS targets and call them by MMSI without uh, you know, a million button presses and a, a lot of digging. MMSIs, I should expand, are the um, marine station identifiers that each DSC VHF radio has. We're a little bit alphabet soup here. I apologize for that. But <laughs> DSC is digital selective calling, right. uh, which is the, the standard of VHF radios that almost that probably almost every radio that is in use on, on cruising boats is likely to be at this point DSC equipped. That's what allows you to send a distress message via VHF, via that red button on the back of the handheld um, as well as it, ha that DSC standard has the ability to call another radio by its MMSI. It's a wildly underused capability, and I, I think, and Vesper thinks, one of the main reasons for that is because on most radios, it's just a, a, an unintuitive and clunky process to make that happen. So now, is this uh, a new VHF? Is it a, a separate handheld device? Is it something that can work on your cell phone, say? A little of both. In order to do VHF voice communications, you do need to have their handheld, okay. which looks a lot like a cell phone and, in fact, is running Android, just like many cell phones. But it's it has the speaker and the mic and the transmit button, and it, it is required in order to do voice communications. But you can use your phone and run the, the Cortex app and get all of the other goodness of Cortex, which is the AS 
target display information, collision avoidance, as well as the, the boat monitoring capabilities, which include anchor alarming, bilge pump monitoring, battery monitoring, uh, high water alarms, security sensors, all of the kind of standard hallmarks of boat monitoring systems. So it's really changing the face of VHF is what it's doing. Yes. The, the big innovation here is, is looking at how VHF radios are, are used and how that interface has supported them over the years and taking a fresh look at it and figuring out what's the best way to, to update these and, and bring that user interface into the 21st century. Speaking of updating, you and I were talking a few weeks ago about this thing called digital switching. What is digital switching and how does that apply to you know, your maybe older model trawler owner? Absolutely. So digital switching is a technology that we've seen really gain a lot of traction in new boat builds. But Andrew, when you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about it, as you said, for older existing boats right. that are already built and aren't probably going to be fully re rewired. So let's start with a quick primer about what digital switching is. Digital switching fundamentally is the ability to control a circuit so a circuit or a load on your boat with digital commands instead of with an analog switch. So traditional circuits, you've got a circuit breaker in a centralized panel that comes out and if it's a light circuit, say, right, it's a circuit that's supporting some lighting, that comes out and probably the positive side of that circuit, assuming it's a DC circuit, is gonna run through a switch or maybe a couple of switches and then up to the lights. And so if you want to turn that light on or off, you go to the switch and you flip the switch up or down. If you want to add another switch to that circuit, you're going to be pulling a lot of wire, right? Because you're going to have to get that other switch in line with the existing wiring and put a three-way switch in, which means you've got to have a wire between the switch locations. And I think for a lot of boaters, you know, just in that simple example, they think, oh, it would be handy to have a switch over here. And then they realize how much of their boat they're going to have to disassemble in order to get that switch. And they think, yeah, maybe I can do without it. Well, digital switching is, in new boats particularly, one of the main promises of digital switching is instead of one centralized breaker panel, you have small digital switch modules throughout the boat. And so instead of running long runs of wire from the central panel, well, really from the batteries to the panel, to the panel, to the load, you now run a smaller conductor for just a few circuits direct from the batteries to where you're going to use that load. Hmm. The control of all of those circuits, instead of being that, uh, traditional analog switch is now uh, a digital switch. Hence, we've, we've got the name digital, digital switching. switching. Right. So now you've got, instead of you know a, an on-off switch, you've got a button that's gonna probably connect in most, on almost all the uh, marine digital switching products via NEMA 2000, NMEA 2000, the, the predominant current network for messaging and uh, instrumentation on boats and you're gonna connect that switch via NEMA 2000. So now, anywhere you've got your NEMA 2000 network, if you wanna add a switch, you just plug into your NEMA 2000 network. Um, digital switching also gives you the ability to do things like set a current threshold. 
So if you know your lighting circuit shouldn't draw more than two amps, you can tell it, go ahead and you know pop the digital breaker at two and a half amps because we should never see two and a half amps. Right. Um, you can have it alert you if it drops way below that, which might be indicative of a, a bulb being burned out or a, a failed module. That can be particularly useful with running lights, right? Now you can tell the digital switching system, let me know if my running lights aren't consuming their normal amount of current. That's a pretty good hint that maybe you've got a running light out. Um, those are the, some of the advantages of digital switching. But now let's talk about it from a, a retrofit perspective. Right. Right. When the technology started, it was really aimed at, at boat builders building new boats that could, in a factory setting, install a complete digital switching setup. Well, now a couple of manufacturers of digital switching products have brought out smaller and simpler digital switching modules. Uh, one of the ones that I've recently reviewed is from C-Zone, which is a six-circuit module called the uh, Control 6, and it allows a simple retrofit panel to be installed, a little maybe six-inch by four-inch device that is a, is a digital switch. So you run a power supply to it, and then you have six loads coming out of it. So if you're, you know, redoing your helm, for instance, or one small portion of the boat or need to add a handful of circuits, this is a great way to do it. Uh, you can then add switches anywhere on the boat that you've got NEMA 2000 backbone running near. You can control it from your multifunction display. You can control it from, um, a number of boat monitoring products are now adding digital switching support. So you could potentially control loads from off the boat. A company like Siren Marine, who has C-Zone NEMA 2000 support, lets you control your C-Zone switch loads from their app. So really, anywhere you are, you could turn a load on or off. The other part of what's happened is that digital switching used to come at a pretty hefty price premium. C-Zone is targeting bringing these products out at a price point that makes them pretty equivalent to a new six-circuit traditional breaker sub-panel and then the, the analog switches. So, you know, not only do you get the, the benefits of digital switching in terms of remote control and easily adding switching, it's also very price competitive at this point. And they're usually faster and simpler installs. The one caveat is that most of these products Although they're now available for retrofit, usually, or starting to be available for retrofit, usually the the way that they're available is through a electronics or uh, electrical installer. So you probably still need to bring in a pro to help you make some of the final connections. If you have an older boat, a, a great way to be keeping up with this new technology, adding it to your boat as it comes, uh, and then, like you said, being able to set warnings and and you know take safety into account. That's a pretty cool piece of equipment. It sure is. Uh, I actually recently picked up a, a 22 foot center console that has become my family's runabout as well as the uh, second test boat in my fleet. But I added a, one of those C-Zone modules to that boat because I needed to add a bunch of circuits and it was far and away the fastest and easiest way to add it. And then I added a little six button control panel on the helm and you know, presto, there I've got everything I need for bringing in more test equipment and powering it. I think it'd be remiss if we didn't touch on apps a little bit. So many mobile apps now exist for boaters out there. More seem to be coming at you every day. Um, you know, in your opinion, Ben, what are some of the best navigation apps out there? And you know, what's available for onboard use right now that you might recommend? Yeah, so my my two favorites are probably Navionics and Aquamap. And 
each has its own individual strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Navionics gives you access to the full Navionics cartography, which in many areas is the strongest or among the strongest providers of, of charting data. It's also a very, I think it's a very intuitive and easy to use app. It's got good search capabilities. You can overlay active captain community data on it. Um, it recently picked up the ability to connect to on-boat instrumentation and get things like AIS information. So you can display AIS with right on the, the app. And then probably one of its long-held strongest abilities is Navionics auto routing, where it can automatically set a route for you. You, you let it know your depth and height constraints and it will plot a safe route or do its best to plot a safe route. Now, the usual caveat applies there, right? You would not be a prudent mariner if you simply took the route that Navionics planned for you and went right along it, having not verified it was safe with your own eyes and and scanning the route. But uh, for planning purposes, for quickly setting a route, it's great. My other favorite is Aquamap. Aquamap also has the AIS capabilities, the the instrumentation capabilities, so can bring in depth information from your on-boat depth sounder and things like that. But it also displays active captain community and waterway guide points of interest and crowdsourced information. Aquamap has a series called Aquamap Master, which is an add-on. I think it's 10 or 20 bucks a year. It's pretty reasonable. And that gives you access to things like the Army Corps of Engineers sounding data for all of the intracoastal waterway. Fairly credible Uh, source there. Exactly. And if you've been through some of the trouble spots, particularly on the East Coast, um, Matanzas, Hellgate, all of those various um, tough areas, getting access to really recent sounding data from the Army Corps of Engineers overlaid right on your chart in a sort of stoplight color configuration, you know, green, plenty of water, yellow, pay attention, red, not probably not going to work out well, yeah. is really helpful. Once you see that displayed in front of you, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Aquamap has their own cartography, mostly based on government hydrographic office data, and uh, covers the world, really. Uh, they've, they've got pretty good cartography, certainly all the cruising grounds that, that I've ever encountered, and a, a really rich feature set. The only thing they're giving up to Navionics, to my eye, is, th- is that auto-routing capability. But I think their AIS display currently is better. That's a fairly new feature for Navionics, and they're working on it, and they keep improving it. But right now, I think Aquamap is better. They can display a little bit more instrument data on the app. They've got something called Route Explorer that also comes as part of Master, does things like tells you how f- far along your route the next fuel stop is, where the next bridge is and what its clearance is, how far to the next hazard that's noted on the charts. A lot of really useful information for at-a-glance cruising. I I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say here, for my own cruising, I really like the mobile apps and what they offer, but I also think there's a real balance to be struck. And for me, that balance is I pretty much always want a fixed MFD, a purpose-built marine display, you know, a Garmin, a Raymarine, a Simrad, a Furuno, B&G, et cetera, display at the helm and up and running with current cartography and then augmented with a mobile app. I think that's the only way to fly, if you will. I've done enough cruising. I've spent enough time at the helm and a lot of it in Florida where the sun can be pretty warm. Mobile devices, iPads, Android tablets, phones, all have a tendency to have heat issues in the direct sunlight. I've had 
tons of them shut down with a little temperature icon indicating they're too hot and need to cool down. Yep. I've never had a marine display do that. So from a reliability and a safety perspective, I really like both. But there's a lot to be said for what you get out of those those apps. Sure. And once again, thank you to Adareef Yachts for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's talk about maybe outfitting your own boat. We have a lot of listeners out there who yeah, may be going through a refit, maybe considering it. Uh, they've heard about some of these new fancy electronics or maybe the guy that's just bought a boat and he's trying to figure out what package to install. Do you have to have it all? I'm sure a lot of it depends on how you're going to use your boat, where you're going, whether you're destination hopping. Ben, you've done the great loop. Take a guy that's got a brand new 30, 40 footer and what sort of electronics package is he looking at? So for the great loop, I think one of the things and I too was a great loop planner not so long ago and probably fell into the same trap that many other people do, which is, you know, this was the first hardcore cruising I was going to do. And I had this sort of belief that this is hardcore cruising and I need to be outfitted for whatever may come. It's and intimidating, right? You, when you start to it is put it all together. It is. You just don't know what you're going to encounter. And all those years of reading boating magazines and reading about all the the incredibly high-tech, high-capability products that are out there, you're like, aha, this is what I need those for. I need it all. And, uh, you know, that's probably not really true. Um, at the end of the day, for the loop, what I I really needed was, I've, I've already talked about it a little bit, that fixed MFD, that fixed display. And then I use one or two tablets at the helm, but I'm a little prone to overkill. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I certainly am much more comfortable with radar. A lot of cruising, especially when you're cruising full time, one of the things that we did learn was that my mantra is this is supposed to be fun. So if it was pea soup fog or, you know, raining cats and dogs, any of those sorts of things, we probably stayed either at anchor or tied to the dock. We didn't set out in it. But I can think of quite a few times that we were underway in beautiful conditions. And, you know, next thing you know, you can barely see the bow of the boat. So radar is certainly a very helpful thing to have at times like those. It's also very helpful to have, you know, if you end up running at night. Now, we planned most of our cruising not to run at night, but that didn't mean we that things always went to plan. And so there we were a few times running in, you know, pitch black on a moonless night barely able to find markers and things like that. And it's times like those that you're very happy to have all of those aids to navigation arrayed at the helm. So I think, you know, the, the basic must haves for a great loop boat are a fixed MFD, at least one fixed VHF radio with a quality antenna on it. Uh, I certainly would like to have radar. I would like to have AIS. Those aren't absolute must haves, but I think they're really big safety measures that you can attain relatively affordably. And then um, autopilot's a big one. Autopilot is, is big for avoiding fatigue. It's big for, uh, especially in those circumstances of limited visibility, hand steering in those circumstances, you'll come to distrust your instrumentation. You'll yep. be sure that you're, you know, coming one way or the another off of your course and your instruments must be wrong. And, you know, it's times like those that the key is trust your instruments. They're probably more reliable than your impaired senses at that moment. But those are those are the the basics that you certainly want to have. Oh, I, I'm, I'm leaving out one really important one, which is uh, depth finders. And I, I like to have two. You know, I have one further forward on the boat and one further back. That can sometimes be useful to understand the, the contour of the bottom. Yep. But the main reason I like to have two is if one loses a bottom fix for some reason or breaks, 
uh, I'm not out of business. And honestly, at least in our boat, which has a five foot draft and the props are the lowest part, without a depth finder, we're pretty much a no go. So that redundancy there is pretty important to me. Um, and in general, one of the things that I strongly preach, especially on a trip like the loop where you're on the boat day in and day out for a year in most cases, and probably using the boat more intensely than it has been used likely in its life, redundancy and thinking about what you're going to do when things go wrong is really important. So that's where both that fixed plotter and a mobile device comes into play. For instance, if you, you know, if you lose a circuit at the helm, and you lose your MFD, now you've got the backup of your mobile device. If your mobile device takes a break because it's too hot or suddenly reboots or whatever else, you know, you've got the fixed plotter uh, ready to go. And then I think along those lines, you know, especially as people look at what they've got on their boat and think, gee, I've got to have the latest and greatest. The latest and greatest changes rapidly. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that what was the latest and greatest six months, a year, two years ago is suddenly inadequate. I talk to people a lot about the notion that the most important thing is to have equipment that you know how to use and you're comfortable using. All of these electronics are aids to navigation, right? They're, they're there to help you navigate safely. And a big part of that is being comfortable using what you've got. If you don't know where to glance in a second and find the depth when you're in stressful waters or, you know, find your position, uh, your GPS coordinates, any of that kind of information, that's a problem. Uh, so you want to make sure you've got equipment, you know how to use, you're comfortable using. It's way more important that those things are true than that you've got G-Wiz Gadget 2020 and have the latest and greatest. The one caveat there is the latest and greatest cartography, the latest and greatest charts are always the greatest. You know, you want as up to date and current of charts as you can get your hands on, uh, especially on the coasts where things like inlets shift and, you know, bottom conditions shift a lot. Getting the, the, the latest updates for your, your charts is really important. Yeah, it seems like the bottom line really is, you know, regardless of all the bells and whistles, just that need to aid safe and successful navigation of your boat. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And that's that really needs to be the, you know, the kind of what's in the back of your mind as you're figuring out what is the right thing for you is what's going to make me the safest and the most confident when I'm at the helm. Uh, and you know, that extends in some other directions, right? So frequently people will be told by their friends, Oh, you've got to get this brand of electronics. They're the best of the current, you know, of the major manufacturers of Marine electronics, they are all making really good products. I don't think there's a, you can't navigate safely with this brand. You have to have this brand kind of situation out there at all. So it really comes down to which one do you find easiest to use? Which one do you like best? And to that end, you know, I'm when people ask me what brand they should buy, I'm real hesitant to, to say you should buy this brand. It's the best because I think they're all really good and they all have individual strengths and weaknesses. But what I do recommend people do is get out to a boat show, get your hands on all this gear and find what you find the easiest to use and the most intuitive. You know, the opportunity to really touch and feel each of these and see what you find the easiest is way more important than, oh, my buddy likes this one, so I'll buy that one. Well, Ben, that is great stuff. I could sit here and geek out with you all day on this, but that's our time for today. Today's episode of Trawler Talk was brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. When you think Outer Reef Yachts, think luxury, efficiency, safety, fun, peace of mind. That's what you get with any adventure aboard an Outer Reef Yacht. 
For more info, visit OuterReefYachts.com. Ben, I can't thank you enough for joining us on this podcast. Andrew, it was really my pleasure. Thanks for having me. For our audience out there, for all your electronics needs, remember, you can follow Ben at Panbo.com. That's Panbo.com. I learned a lot today. I hope all of you guys out there did too. For Trawler Talk and Passage Maker Magazine, I'm Andrew Parkinson.